big thank you to Mark. Um, I'm just going to scroll through and make sure that he's here somewhere um, before I hand over to him. I'm hoping you're there somewhere. Yes. Um, yeah. Present. Well done, Mark. Good to see you. Yeah, yeah, and so lots of others as well. So, um, yeah, good morning to you. Thank you so much for your ministry to us over in these strange times. It would have been great. We've said it a few times to have been at White Lakes, and uh, I think that's what it's called, uh, and to have been, you know, meeting you and gathering and having little conversations after se uh, sessions and things like that. But obviously, we haven't been able to do that. But but thank you for being willing to do minister to us in this way. Um, it'll always be remembered. There you go. It will be a church weekend that's always remembered. You, you, you'll, you'll go down in history. There's no doubt about it. So thank you, Mark, for uh, for your time this weekend. It's been good to see you. And thank you for being at some of the other things as well. So we're going to have coffee and uh, and chat with you and uh, and stuff. That's been a real encouragement. Um, so uh, can I pray for you? And then and then I'll hand over to you and we'll head into the session. Um, and there'll be there'll be breakout rooms as well a little bit later. So we'll go with the same format as, as yesterday for the main sessions. Mark's going to talk to us and then there'll be an opportunity to break out into rooms and to chat about some of the things that we've been looking at okay let's pray father do thank you for mark and for all that he's involved with um in his church in his life in his family life uh, in the lawyers christian fellowship all that you're using him to do we thank you for his uh, gift of clear communication we thank you for what is pulled out of these early chapters of nehemiah and we look forward to what you speak to us through him about today give him your spirit, Lord, we pray. Help him and enable him to speak to us with that, that clarity that he has and help us to be those that your spirit is saying to your church, Lord, we ask. Help us not to have just had a good time this weekend and then forget all about it, but to apply what we know, uh, to live lives deeper for Christ, that look to him and honour him in all that we do. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mark. I mean, thanks, Jason. And thank you all. I've really enjoyed seeing um, the family at uh, Stokeford and um, being part of this weekend away. So thanks for inviting me to speak um, on the book of Nehemiah. And uh, thank you for being with me on this journey through that book. Um, well, today uh, on session three, uh, it's called Awaiting the King, which gives you a sense of where we're going. Um, for those who um, are joining us for the first time this morning, we've been looking together at the book of Nehemiah and considering um, its message about centering our lives upon the purposes of God. And the reason why we're doing that is because we have but one life to live by faith, and we want to live that one life well and not to waste it. So a quick recap. Session one, we saw how God's concerns had become Nehemiah's concerns in the priorities, the pressures, and the prayers of his life, as he responded to the reports which he heard about the ruins of Jerusalem's walls. To understand Nehemiah's response, as he responded to those reports, we are reminded that the, the concept of Jerusalem and its walls was a model of what God was going to do for the rest of the world. The rest of the world was meant to look to Jerusalem, this city, and say, wow, can we be in that place under God's blessing and rule too? In session two, we saw uh, Nehemiah's commitment to community as they rebuilt the ruins of Jerusalem's walls in the face of challenges from outside the community and from within it as well. And key to our understanding of that part was that God is more concerned about right relationships and building right relationships between the people and himself so that they became a model for what God wants to do 
for the rest of the world. So people looked at the Jewish community in Jerusalem around Jerusalem and say, wow, can I be part of God's community too? Today we're on the final leg of our journey through Nehemiah. And here's the plan um, for the 20 or so minutes we've got before discussion groups and then afterwards as well. I want to move through quickly chapters 6 to 10, pulling a single point from each chapter to see how God's community lived life centred on God's purposes so that they were ready for the future. And then we're going to slow down a bit and see how some people led on behalf of the community by being centered on God's purposes so that they were ready for the future. And finally, after the discussion groups, we'll come back together for a final look at chapter 13 and one key phrase in that chapter, which shows how one man, Nehemiah, centered his life on God's purposes so that he was ready for the future. Let me begin, though, with a question. And to do this, I want to share. Yes, if you could just. Sorry, I need to have screen sharing capability. Could you give me co-host function? Yeah, just working on it. Fantastic. So here's the question. Um, first of all, how do you get a group of people voluntarily to build a mm -hmm. Okay, just waiting for the ability to share my screen and show you the picture. How do you get a group of people voluntarily to build a ship? Well, you could get them to look at a manual for shipbuilding. You could get them lots of wood and paper and nuts and bolts and all kinds of things you might expect to build a ship. And you could say, look, here's the things you need, the tools that you're going to require go ahead, get stuck into a shipbuilding task. It'll involve blood and sweat and tears and frustrations and all the kind of stuff that we see in life. We could say that's the way to get a community to voluntarily build a ship. A different way perhaps of doing it is instead to help them to dream of the ocean Someone famously Antoine de Saint-Exubéry said this, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people together to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and work. Rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. Teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. And the picture I'm gonna show you is, is of a, an ocean scene, um, beautiful, crystal waters that you don't want to dive into, sand and coral beneath, and the idea of launching out as a community on a boat to explore that endless immensity and to be excited by it. Well, that's what the Christian community has. How do you teach people to live in community for Christ? Well, it's to teach them to long for Jesus Christ, God's promised king. And that's the destination of this morning's session. How do we live together longing for our promised king? So, chapter 10. How God's community lived life centred on God's purposes so that they were ready for the future. Ready, well, not quite. 
I need to explain something at this point. It's a simple point, a simple point that's quite easily missed. Um, some years ago, um, a group of us from Stateford um, decided to walk for some reason from coast to coast while we were trying to raise some funds for the text perdition. And um, on day about 10 of this journey, we had a long walk, quite a tedious walk. And I was fatefully left in charge of the compass and the map. And at one point, of course, to get a good bearing to read your map, you need to know where true north is. And somehow in this, I didn't get a good bearing on the map. And as a group, a rather tired, uh, slightly fractious group, we went astray because I didn't keep a good reference point. And so the reference point here um, for the Old Testament community that we're looking at is God's promise of a king. The promise comes very early in the Bible, Genesis chapter 17, verses five to six, when he says in a promise to Abraham, your name will be Abraham, for I have made your father of many nations. I'll make you very fruitful. I'll make nations of you and kings will come from you. And from that point, we you see this kind of line going forwards where the Old Testament people of God are looking forward to a coming king, God's promised Messiah. There's another quote as well from the prophet Jeremiah further on um, in the Bible. And he says, the days are coming, declared the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous saviour. When God's promised king would come, where was he to establish his rule? Well, the answer, of course, is in Jerusalem, in the centre, the centre place of God's purposes. So for the people to be ready for the king, they've got to get the city ready for the coming king. So let's work through now chapter six to 10 and pull out a, a key word from each of those things, those, those chapters, to see how they get ready for this coming king. So first of all, chapter six, it's by completing the wall. Verse six, the wall was almost finished, but an unholy alliance, the unholy alliance of Sanballat and Tobiah and the rest of them were conspiring to harm and to discredit Nehemiah, to discourage the people from completing the task they'd been given to do. They fail. By the end of chapter six, the wall has been completed. It's finished in 52 days. It's an extraordinary feat, a community feat that makes the surrounding nations sit up and notice. How do we centre our lives and God's purposes so we live now ready for the future? Well, by completing the work that he has given us to do. Acts 20, 24, for example, um, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. How do we get ready for the coming king? Well, by completing that work, by telling people about the good news of God's grace in community. Chapter seven, verse four, the city was wide and large, but it's almost empty. And so we get a new section now in Nehemiah about restoring the people so they're ready to populate the city. Chapter seven is all about enrolling and you get this list and it's easy when you get a big list, it's just to kind of scan through and say, oh, what do I make of all this? 
Well, notice at least this. Um, God has put it on Nehemiah's heart to assemble people, to enroll them by genealogy. He's seeking here to establish belonging. Were people's names written in the book? Are they in or are they out of God's community? And if you were to go forward to the last book in the Bible, of course, you get something very similar um, being said there about the Lamb's Book of Life. The only people who enter the city, the final city, the ultimate city of Jerusalem, are those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So how do we ready for the future? How do we centre our lives and God's purposes? Well, it's by making every effort now to confirm our calling, our election, our being part of that city. Chapter 8 is all about assembling. What do God's people do when the rebuilding of the walls is complete, when the eyes of the world are upon them? In verse 1 of chapter 8, we see they assemble. They assemble around God's words. About 3,000 people assemble as one person. And verse 3, the ears of all of them are attentive. There are some extraordinary uh, reactions in this chapter. They weep. They need to be calmed before they can be sent away to eat and drink. This is the people who are tuned in to the word of God as they assemble around the word of God together. They go away, but the next day they come back again. They assemble again around God's word. And they're reminded that they should be observing a special feast, a feast of tabernacles, a feast which reminds them how God saved them and was very present in their midst. How do we center our lives and God's purposes that we live now, ready for the future? Well, we keep assembling with humble hearts, with attentive minds around God's word. It's key to community life as God's people. Chapter nine, the key word here is confessing. The title is the Israelites confess their sins. And we see confession again a few weeks later they're assembled again around God's word to confess their sins and to worship God. For a quarter of a day, the book of the law is read. And for a quarter of the day, they make confession and worship. The Levite's prayer um, from verse five in this chapter is itself a journey as they confess their failings, as they remember all that God has done to gather a people to himself under his blessing and rule. How do we centre our lives and God's purposes so that we live now, ready for the future? Well, we live confessional lives together, confessing our sins to God, to our, each other as appropriate, and confessing all that God has done to live, to enable us to live our lives centred upon his purposes. Chapter 10 is all about committing we're given the names in this chapter of those who seal the covenant, and it's a record also of the obligations which they willingly accept. We see in verse 28 that this is for those who have understanding. There is understanding required for anybody who will commit to following Jesus. There is an obligation for us to count the cost before committing to following him in community. And as they do so, 
their eyes were very open as they made pr a promise with an oath to keep three very specific obligations to be in community as God's people. Verse 30, they're not to marry outside the people of God. You see, if they married outside the people of God, if they married with other nations, those other nations could turn their hearts away from the living God. And the effect would be they wouldn't be centered upon God's purposes. Verse 31, we see that there is an obligation to, to honor, to keep the, the rest that God requires them to live. Why is that so important? Well, if they fail to live in keeping with God's rhythm for life and for rest, the temptation would be to live life as if their life was all that mattered, to live life centered not on God's purposes, but upon their own. And so there's this obligation they make to keep God's rhythm of rest. And then verses 32 through 39, we see their obligations not to neglect the recently rebuilt temple and all its accompaniments. Again, because to do so would be to neglect God's purpose for gathering a people to himself. This is all about purity of faith. It's about anticipating the rest that is to come. It's about centering life around God's purposes. And these were serious commitments. These commitments you'll see from verse 29 in chapter 10 came with a curse. These were people who wanted to commit resolutely to following God. All of these obligations, of course, have parallels in the New Testament about who we commit to in relationship to maintain a life centered upon God, about establishing a rhythm of life which anticipates our eternal hope in Christ, about not neglecting the church, God's community of people, but to care for them and to keep meeting with them. There's a lot happening in these chapters, and I apologise for skating through them, trying to pull out a key element of each one. They're completing, enrolling, assembling, confessing, committing to living in relationship with God and with each other, but they still haven't moved into the city. They're living now and yet not yet. They're getting ready to enter the city, but they haven't moved in. And for many of them, they'll never move in. And that's a flag to us that the old Jerusalem, this model here, wasn't meant to be the final destination. And so in application, we can draw lessons from these chapters about what it is to live life centred on God's purposes, about living now ready for the future. But be aware of this. We live now, really live now, have full life now and not yet. You will feel a tension in your life as a community of God's people together. But this life is preparatory. It's getting you ready for the life that never ends, which has begun now. It's the now and the not yet. And knowing that will help you to make sense of much of the experiences you have in this life, the frustrations, the tensions that you face. The second part now as we begin to slow down the pace is in chapter 11. So in chapter 6 10, we've seen the people getting ready for life in the city. Now we're seeing people leading the people into life in the city. What does leadership look like, like here? Well, hopefully John MacArthur said about leadership, he said, according to scripture, virtually everything 
that truly qualifies a person for leadership is directly related to character. If we as Christians live life with our destination in mind, then our character is something that we should be concerned about, our individual character, our corporate character. We can't take these things, our physical things with us beyond this present life, but our character lasts, it's of lasting value. Romans 5 verses 3 to 4 talks about suffering, how we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character and character hope. There's something about character that matters. So let's see the character of leadership in chapter 11. Verse 1 of chapter 11 begins with the leaders going into and living in Jerusalem. They led by moving in. Uh, relocation, I've had a fair amount as we established on Friday night of, of relocation in my life. Um, the stress is often worth it as we anticipate a better job, uh, perhaps retiring to the countryside or seaside, being near to family, but it is stressful. And moving into Jerusalem would have been a very stressful experience. Previously around Jerusalem, everybody lived in their own property. They were quite content. They felt reasonably happy and safe there. And in terms of location, location, Jerusalem was not curbside appeal. It didn't have, but Jerusalem was a holy city. It was set aside for God's purposes. And if God's purposes for the city, God's people in God's place under his blessing and rule were to be fulfilled, it needed to be populated. How could the promised king return to Jerusalem if the city was still empty? And so the leaders led by moving in. They set the example. They show the character of commitment, of commitment to Christ, to the coming king that was required for them. Now, to live in the Holy City might have been thought a privilege, but it was going to be a costly responsibility too. As we see, um, one in ten um, moved into the city. They were chosen by lots to do so. And as they went in, um, we see that the, that the people blessed and commended those who are willing, who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. Um, it's like they were kind of patting them on the back saying, thank you, well done, we applaud what you're doing, um, but almost glad that they weren't the ones who'd been chosen by lot to go in themselves. And so we see the city now being populated. Two lists are given to us. Um, the first uh, verses 4 to 36 of Jerusalem's and Judah's residence, and then 12, 1 to 26 of the priests and the Levites. And as they go in, they're leading by serving. Um, we have the leaders, verse 1, setting the example, as I said. We have civil servants, and perhaps think of somebody uh, in Nottingham City Council, for example. Um, we have civil servants, verse 9, who's Joel, for example, the chief officer. We have those who are in charge of looking after the temple, of community life around, around God's words, um, verse 16. In all of this, the priority is worship. It's meant to be the primary characteristic in the life of the city. And so we pause at verse 17 here. Verse 17, we have Mataniah, son of Micah, the son of Zabdi, the son of Asaph, the director who led in thanksgiving and prayer. What was meant to be the character, the main character of the city? 
It's meant to be thanksgiving and prayer. It's meant to be worship, wonderful, willing worship. How do we know this is so important? Well, the high points, in my view, of the book of Nehemiah comes in the following chapter, 12, the dedication of the wall that has been rebuilt. And we get in chapter 12, two great choirs um, convening on Jerusalem, led by the priests, made up of the community of God's people. And from verses 27 forwards in chapter 12, they gather into Jerusalem, there's this movement taking place. And as they move into Jerusalem, they then proceed in two groups around the, the rebuilt walls in different directions until verse 40 in chapter 12. They come together and meet at the temple. Remember, the temple isn't a, just a place. It's a theological idea in the Old Testament. It's the center of what God is doing. Why? Because there God dwelt with his people in their midst. And when they get to the temple, they offer great sacrifices, verse 43, and they rejoiced, for God, we are told, had given them great joy. And in any case about who it is who's worshiping here, we're told that the women and children also rejoiced. This is the whole gathered people. I wonder if you can imagine that. I wonder if you can perhaps um, hear the singing, the singing of the Psalms using the psalm book which they would have sung from. Perhaps you can hear the, the bass voices coming through, the, the sweetness of the tenors, the, the thrill of the altos, uh, the women's voices, the children's voices, the men's voices. What does it sound like? Can you hear the joy that is being communicated by this community singing together? Are you drawn into the community? We're told the sound of rejoicing, verse 43, in Jerusalem, the joy of Jerusalem could be heard far away. It's a powerful testimony, isn't it? Drawing people, people saying, wow, can I be part of that community too? Some years ago, I went to India to Delhi Bible Institute and I woke up on the Sunday morning and I could hear reverberating through the building the drums the drumbeat as a service began. In our local church, we have a church building with very large windows on the main road through the village where we live. And at nighttime, when it's lit up, you can see the people worshiping in the church building together. It's an advert to others that they might be drawn in. You're meeting on Sunday mornings at the moment by YouTube video. It's a big advert to the watching world. You'll see people connecting with Stapleford Baptist Church who wouldn't perhaps normally um, see it or witness the joy of the community. It's good to think about what that says to people. Do they hear the sound of rejoicing? Do they hear the joy of the local community of believers in Stapleford far away? And once you have an opportunity now to connect people, to show people the joy of what it is to be a believer in Christ. Do you know what the purpose of God, his work is? Well, he's about rebuilding a broken world. Jesus is the centre of the story. The city of Jerusalem with the temple at the centre is a model, a little model of what God wants to do for the rest of the world. 
the temple and the city walls have now been rebuilt. God has been gathering people from exile, from the villages, from the towns, from faraway nations, and he's gathered them to himself in the city. And now he wants the rest of the world to look on in envy and say, can we be part of it too? And so chapter 12 is very much the sound of singing of a community of people whose purposes are centred on God. And on that note, I'm going to break now in a moment to go into discussion groups.